0: Welcome to Making the Grade. I'm your host, Cindy Putman, and I look forward each week to hosting some brilliant minds as we explore the importance of understanding the why behind child development, educational concepts, and processes, while getting to know and understand ourselves as individuals, parents, caregivers, educators, and just members of the human race. We're going to explore practical ways to help children and those who love them grow and flourish. Well, today I will tell you I'm flying solo because I happen to always want to do topics on the podcast that are about things that are going on in the world around me, because hopefully some of those same things are going on in the world around you. And one of the things that I have really been talking to a lot of people about recently is how to build a resilient child. Now, I want to know what you think about when you think about the word resilient. If someone is resilient, what does that mean? Does that mean when something bad is happening that they're able to bounce back? Does that mean that when they're in the midst of a trauma or a tremendous struggle that they're able to rise above it? One of the things that research says is that we as educators, we as caregivers, we as parents, we as individuals, and we as basically members of the human race all have a hand in building resiliency in kids. So if we're going to build a resilient learner, I think we have to have a little background on why that's so important. One of the things that we know that has been really on the forefront of child development in the last few years is adverse childhood experiences. And we all know that adverse childhood experiences are things that happen to a child between birth and the age of 18. Now, if you're listening and you've never heard anything about adverse childhood experience was when the podcast is over today, I would highly recommend that you Google Adverse Childhood Experiences. Adverse Childhood Experiences are things, as I said, that happen between birth. And I'm going to add that I think they actually happen from the moment a child is conceived. How well a mom is able to take care of herself, the resources that she has, the exposure she has to good prenatal care the amount of stress or trauma that's in her own life. So when you look at adverse childhood experiences, they are going to be some questionnaires, and they're going to ask you ten questions. Five of those questions are going to be, did these things happen to you directly? The other five are going to be questions that ask, did these happen in the home or the environment in which you were raised? And I want to tell you, please do not... Um, freak out because when you get your score and you're going to be able to self-score yourself, your score is a fact about you. It is not your fate. And sometimes kids that have had really, really tough things happen to them when they are younger build a tremendous amount of resilience to overcome those things. So when we're talking about building resilience in our school system because our school system received a district-wide Resilient School Communities Grant – We're also talking about helping our educators understand how to create classrooms where children can really thrive. One of the things that we know as educators is a positive learning environment addresses the whole child so that teaching and learning can flourish. But I'm going to take this a step further. A positive home environment addresses the whole child so that teaching and learning can flourish. And one of the things that I know as a classroom educator that kids definitely need routines. They like to know the routines of things that are going to happen in the classroom but also let me just tell you they need to know the routines that are going to happen after school in the evening a bedtime routine a wake-up routine a routine to get ready to catch the bus or to get ready to be driven to school by a family member or friend they need to know those routines kids thrive in environments where there are routines where there is chaos where there is confusion, when there's a lot of the unknown, that's really hard for a child to thrive in that environment. As a matter of fact, it gives a child a lot of toxic stress, and we're going to talk about toxic stress in just a few minutes. So just remember that your kids need routine, You need to try to think about doing the same thing that they are doing during the school day. So maybe you want to make a little routine chart and put it up. When we get home from school, we have a snack, we put our book bags here or our backpacks, we do our homework, or we have some chill out time. Maybe we listen to music, we watch a short video or something that parents are supervising so we know what our kids are watching. We drink some water, we get some exercise, I'm making dinner or we're having takeout, but we're all going to come together. It's bath time. We have a routine about getting ready for bed. We have a routine about going to bed at a certain time. And I know there are two littles in my life as a grandmother, but I will tell you those routines for them sometimes can be a little bit of a power struggle because they want to stay up later because they want to do this or they don't want to brush their teeth or they don't want to take their allergies medicine or whatever it is. So it's very important that you build in those routines for kids. So if you want your child to have a positive learning environment at school, then why not create a positive learning environment at home? But one of the things I also want to point out is we have to be able to be self-regulated when those things happen with our kids. And it doesn't matter if you have little kids, if you have middle schoolers, if you have high schoolers, if you have college students, if you have young adults, or you are the parents of maybe some older adult children. There are still seasons when we have to be self-regulated and know about what triggers you. So I want you to think for just a second, what really triggers you? What set sets you off and when you are triggered by something where do you feel it in your body where do you feel that anxiety that anxiousness those stressors I can tell you that when I am triggered by something I always laugh and say I feel like my ears are growing out of my shoulders because for some reason I raise my shoulders up, I tighten up my neck, I tighten up the upper part of my body. Some people talk about they feel it in their chest, some people talk about they feel it in their stomach, and I've actually had uh, teachers in training say that they feel those stressors sometimes in their hands and in their feet. So whenever you feel anxious or stressed, knowing what triggers you, helps you to self-regulate. And what does it mean to self-regulate? It means to get back to a place where you are calm, when your breathing is not labored, and you can actually think about what's going on. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but there are different parts of our brain. But lots of times when we are triggered by something, we live in our downstairs brain. And our downstairs brain is the part of our brain that's reactive. It's the part of our brain that we go to and we act before we think. We say things before we think about what damage those words might do. We're in our survival or safety mode. Our bodily functions increase. We may start having more shallow breathing. We feel like we want to fight, flight, or freeze. We have big, big emotions and lots of times when I'm doing trainings on these, I'm talking to educators about the children in their class. But I also know how beneficial this is to talk to parents and grandparents about the littles or the elementary or the middle school or the high school or the college or the adult children that are in their life. So what is the upstairs brain? The upstairs brain is the brain that we're responsive. It's the brain that we think before we act. We're self-aware of our own body language. We are self-aware of the look that's on our face. We are able to provide empathy. We can focus. We have good decision making. We have good decision making. So let's remember that there's the upstairs brain and there's the downstairs brain. And when we are flooded, and that's when we're in that downstairs brain, our heart speeds up to more than a hundred beats per minute. Our adrenaline starts to pump. We're unable to focus on the issues. We're non-responsive to our partner's questions or commentary. Our attention becomes very focused with tunnel vision and tunnel hearing. Our breathing becomes rapid and shallow. It's an either-or thinking, either-or thinking. Our muscles tense up, such as a clenched jaw or tightness in our shoulders or stomach. We feel hot, flushed, dry mouth, shaky, or sweaty. And so there's a great online resource called Flooded, a brain-based guide to helping children regulate emotions. But I must tell you that in my own life, I have to regulate my own emotions. And I'm not proud to share this, but within the last 24 hours with groups of adults, I have actually flipped my lid, flipped my lid in front of people. I have reacted in a way that I don't like to react. I'm not proud of the way I reacted. I've reacted in a way that made me feel like I really needed to be apologetic about some things. I was either in that either or or kind of thinking. I wasn't really listening to what the other person said. I was too busy thinking about what I was going to say back to them. So that is not a really great place for us to be. There are great videos online called Flipping Your Lid," but I just want you to visualize if your hand was your brain. And your arm and the base of your hand is your brain stem, And your thumb is the part of the brain that regulates your emotions. So tuck your thumb into the palm of your hand and then bring your fingers down over that. And your fingers are your cerebral cortex. That's the forehead part of your brain where all your logical thinking occurs. And research shows us that most people don't really develop that logical thinking aspect until they're in that around the age of 24 to 25 so here we're dealing with littles and we're expecting them to have logical Responses to why they're doing things or why they're forgetting to do what you've asked them to do for maybe the hundredth time. So what happens is when you get in that downstairs brain, you flip your lid. So flip your fingers up and remember what we said about the downstairs brain. When you're in that downstairs brain, you are not thinking clearly. You are not able to react logically and you're having big emotions and those big emotions are really exploding and there's nothing wrong with emotions, but when our emotions are ruling us instead of us being able to naturally rule our emotions, lots of problems can occur. I mentioned earlier about stressors. There are three different kinds of stress. There is positive stress, there is tolerable stress, and there is toxic stress. Positive stress is stress that we all have every day. It may be you know, having a new supervisor at work. It may be something in your family changing. It may be um, a great experience where someone's getting married and they're blending a family together. There's all kinds of positive stress. It may be getting a new iPhone for Christmas and not knowing exactly how to use it or getting a new um, you know device of some kind and you're a little challenged about what you're supposed to do with it. That's all positive stress because when you have positive stress, It does make your heart rate go up for a few minutes, but you are able to self-regulate and you're able to come back down. And so even though your stress hormones might rise for a few minutes, they're not staying there. Now, tolerable stress is a little more serious. Tolerable stress could be the loss of a loved one. It could be someone going through a divorce. It could be something that is happening, but you have lots and lots of people in your corner to help you navigate through that. Toxic stress is a prolonged activation of stress in your stress response system in the absence of protective relationships. I like to think of toxic stress as if you filled your car up with gas, and you drove it home, and you sat in your car in the front yard all day, and you rev the motor of your car. That is toxic stress. It's like the bear in the woods. We see a bear in the woods, and we go into that flight, fight, or freeze, that natural response that we have, but We are able to utilize that for our own protection and safety. But if you live in toxic stress, if you're a child or you're an adult that the bear in the woods lives in your home and when you come home, you never know what the bear is going to be doing, then you're living in toxic stress and your body is responding to that. You're like that person who's revving their car engine all day long and your stress level is staying right up there and for kids that's really a hard thing it's a real hard thing for them to live in a toxic stress environment and then come into the classroom and relax so that's why it's so important that we really help children understand that they can't live in their downstairs brain children who experience chronic stress and trauma that's the only brain they know how to live in It is not uncommon for some of those children who live in that chronic stress and trauma to stir up chaos in their environment they don't do this to intentionally hurt others rather it's the best tool they've got to manage the intensity of their reality so if you are providing a very calm stable environment for a child and they've got some toxic stress in other areas of their life and in that calm stable environment that you think they're going to be calm and stable they're having complete meltdowns that's their way of best managing the intensity of what's happening so when that happens We as adults are those caring, consistent adults in their life as the teacher, as the bus driver, as the custodian at the school, as the person they work with at church, as their coach, as their gymnastics teacher, as their theater director, um, whoever is in their life has to maintain composure. You have to have a plan because we know that kids are going to have meltdowns. You have to avoid a power struggle. You have to know and build a relationship with that child. You have to reinforce the goals that you've set for yourself and for that child based on the most healthy way that we can react. And you've got to know your own triggers. I did a training with teachers this week, and I asked them, what were some of the things that kids do that really trigger them? And one teacher said, it really triggers me when a kid rolls their eyes at me. And another teacher said, it really triggers me, and I know for some of you this is going to be hard to believe, when I'm up teaching and a child points to their watch, taps on the face of their watch, and tells me to wrap it up. Now, these were elementary school kids that we're talking about. It triggers me when I was in a classroom environment when a kid would just shut down because I didn't want them to shut down. They were in that freeze mode. So I could really deal with somebody that was in the flight or fight mode better than I could the freeze mode because freeze means they completely shut down. They're not responsive to anything you're saying. And that's a really difficult thing. So we've got to know our own triggers. Sometimes we have to help children also grow out of what their triggers are because so many times they are already believing that there is something wrong with them, that they're lacking in something. So we can help kids develop a growth mindset. So instead of saying, I'm not good at this, which is a fixed mindset, a growth mindset says, what am I missing? Instead of saying in a fixed mindset, I give up, a growth mindset would say, oh, let's use a different strategy. Instead of saying in a fixed mindset, oh, it's just good enough, then in a growth mindset, is this really my best work? And kids in a fixed mindset will so many times say, I can't do this any better, or this is too hard, or I made a mistake, or I just can't do this, and I'll never be that smart, or this doesn't work. And you can just see the frustration just rising in their body. (coughs) Excuse me. And so what we have to help them do is we have to help them be able to think, instead of, I can't make this any better, how can I improve this? This is too hard. This may take some time. I made a mistake. Mistakes help me learn. I think we have such a fear of failure that when a child experiences failure, they just want to give up. But we have to then realize that how many of us know that through our mistakes... We have learned lots and lots of things, and I'll never be that smart. Smart. Well, I can learn how to do this. Or plan A didn't work, so there's always a plan B. So the most important thing we can do with our kids or our students is build a relationship. Relationship, relationship, relationship. It is the, truly the thing that connects us with the children in our life, and it sends a message to them that they are safe, that they belong in the environment that they're in, and that they are truly capable of awesomeness. So how do we build those relationships with kids? Well, I already told you that one of the most important things we can do is we can have some sort of schedule, and we can stick to that schedule. And for you as an adult, it may be super challenging for you to stick to a schedule, But I just want to encourage you that sticking to a schedule and letting a child know what expectations you have with them, what consequences you have with them, and being consistent is so important. So if you're rushed in the morning, then your kids are going to feel rushed. So maybe you need to do some pre-planning the night before. Maybe you want to get up and maybe you want to start out with singing a little, you know, welcome 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 you know happy morning to you song maybe you want to just say something kind to your child maybe you just want to tell them you're so happy to see them this morning the way you interact with them before you drop them off for school or before they get on the bus has a huge impact on their day you might want to write them a note that they find in their book bag you might want to write them a note that they find in their planner You might want to remember that today there's a different pickup for coming home, and you might remind them of that. But the biggest goal is to give them messages that help them feel safe that help them realize that they belong and that they are capable of doing great things. And one of the things I think we have to be aware of as parents and educators is the more we do things for our children that they can do for themselves, the more we're crippling them in their future. So we really need to let kids be responsible within the correct age groups of what their responsibility levels are, but let them be responsible for things. Kids can put their book bags in a certain place. They can hang their coats in a certain place. They can put their shoes in a certain place. They can, with your help, as young as two years old, start brushing their teeth. They can um, put stickers on a chart if you want to use a reward system for something that they are doing. But there is so much power that comes from building a relationship with your child and that's what we share with the educators in the school system is there's so many things that come from taking the time to build a relationship and I ask a group of teachers how do you build a relationship you get to know the child you listen to what the child says you get on their eye level you respond in a calm Caring way. All of those things are so vitally important. So let's remember, let's stay out of our downstairs brain. Let's try to live in our upstairs brain. Let's try not to flip our lid. And one of the greatest things that I think a teacher or a parent can say to a child is, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I'm not happy about the way I responded to you or the way I responded to the situation. There's a lot of power that comes from a child hearing an adult say, that they're sorry and think about it when someone you feel like has wronged you or done something that was upsetting to you how freeing is it when they come back and say to you that they're sorry well I'll tell you what it does it builds happy feelings in your brain and those happy feelings um, they can really strengthen that cerebral cortex that decision making part of our brain and it can really increase the blood flow to our brain so let's remember that it's Really important to have lots of positive, happy, happy conversations with our kids. So, if you've stuck around this long, thank you for being here and thank you for being a part of making the grade it's my hope that you have gained an understanding of a little bit about how we can build resilience in a child and through the sharing of information and this newly acquired knowledge this will aid you in navigating through this journey of life whether you're navigating as a single parent whether you're navigating as a um, recently divorced parent where you're navigating as a seasoned teacher or a new teacher We'll see you next time on making the grade. Okay, around four, I had a really big coughing spell, so I